Can you believe that Easter is only four weeks away? Four weeks. We're gearing up for that because today we're kicking off a brand new message series which begins the journey to the cross. And for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what our Savior said and what He did on His way to the cross, which was the greatest act in all of human history. But before we get started, I want to tell you a story. And uh, you know what? It is so cool to look and see all you kids right in the front row. Praise the Lord. And this room is almost full. <laughs> that is so awesome. So in this story, there was a father and a son, and they wanted to go on a walk together. And so after about a half hour or so, after they'd been walking, uh, the father looked down at his son and he said, How far are we from home? And the, father, the boy replied, I don't know. And the father said, well, well, where are we? And the, father, or the son said, I don't know. The father smiled and he looked down at his son and he said, it sounds like to me that you're lost. The boy looked up at his father and he said, nope, I'm not lost. I'm with you. And ultimately, that should be the answer for all of us. We can't be lost if we're with our Heavenly Father. But unfortunately, this world is full of lost people, many of whom have no idea that they're even lost. Some know it, but pride keeps them from asking for directions. Others know it, and sadly, they don't care. They're too busy making their own way or wallowing around in their own sin. And saddest of all is that those who stay lost, they'll be separated from the Father forever. And they'll spend eternity in hell. That should be a reality check for all of us. We're not on this earth without a purpose. There is a reason we're all here. And many people will spend their entire lives trying to figure out what that reason is. What that purpose is. But our ultimate purpose in life can never be revealed apart from Jesus Christ. Purpose is a reason. It answers the why. Why am I here? Mission explains the how. How to achieve our purpose. Purpose answers the why. And mission explains the how. If we get our purpose wrong, then we're going to get our mission wrong. We can get our purpose right and still get our mission wrong. So today we're going to explore both our purpose and our mission. We want to answer the question, why am I here on this earth? That will give us our purpose. The next question we want to answer is, how can I achieve my purpose? Because this will give us our mission. But before we can understand our purpose or our mission, we first need to understand Jesus' purpose and his mission. Today we begin a brand new message series called Journey to the Cross. This series is going to lay the foundation as we ramp up for Easter. It's going to be an amazing journey together as we explore the mission, the miracles, and the message of Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are a mighty God. We need your presence, Lord. We ask right now, Father, that you tune out any distractions that may be competing with our heart right now so that we can hear directly from you. Show us, Lord, what is our purpose? What is our mission? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So today as we begin this journey to the cross by exploring the mission of Jesus, right? the only way that we can understand Jesus' mission is we first have to nail down what was his purpose. His purpose is the reason that he would leave heaven and come to earth as a human being. So why did Jesus come to earth? Well, Scripture records several reasons why Jesus came to this earth. But there is one predominant reason that stands out among all the others. And that purpose comes right from one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So there it is. There is Jesus' reason for coming to the earth, to save the world through himself. You've got your hand out. That's your first blank. To save the world through himself. That is Jesus' purpose. And even his name reveals his purpose. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. And Yahweh is just another name for God. So Jesus' name means God saves. Jesus' purpose for coming to this world was simply to be its Savior. We see this purpose also revealed in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said this, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. So there is his purpose revealed in Scripture again. And then Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Again, we see Jesus' purpose. To be the world's Savior by seeking and saving the lost. So that they will be found. You guys might notice that that sign back there, it says, Get Found. Amen? Amen? We want everyone to get found. The lost are all those who have, do not have, though they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They've never made that decision to follow Him. Those people are lost. And they are dead in their sins without Jesus. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world. And it was the sin that condemned all of mankind. Do you know what? God would make a way to redeem mankind. And that way would be through his son, Jesus. Immediately after sin came into the world through Adam and Eve disobeying God, God said this to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He said this, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. This statement is a foreshadowing of Jesus defeating Satan. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, right? Three days later, being resurrected from the dead. Anyone going to get excited about that? Come on. (laughs) Work with me today. Work with me. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was the death blow to the head of Satan and death and sin itself. Now, a strike to the heel, it's not deadly. But a death to the blow is. Or excuse me, a death blow to the head is. Right? So we're three chapters into the Bible. And God is already revealing his plan for mankind. And he would save mankind from his sin. God would do this through his son. He would send Jesus on the ultimate rescue mission. It would be the greatest rescue mission of all time. But it would also involve the greatest sacrifice of all time. Jesus would humbly, willingly, and sacrificially lay down his life to accomplish this mission. His purpose is to save the world through himself. That's his purpose. You know, a lot of us get so excited about Christmas because we celebrate the birth of our Savior, right? That is great. But you want to know something? Easter is even greater. Because Easter is about the death of our Savior and about His resurrection from the dead. He was born to die, right? And He died for us so that we could live. That is worth celebrating right there. So His purpose is to save the world through Himself and His mission to accomplish that purpose would lead Him to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And it was the only mission that could save us. And he was the only one that could accomplish that mission. But some may wonder, what do I need saving from? 
Or why do I need to be rescued in the first place? These are questions that every one of us should ask. And these are questions that every one of us should have the answers to. If we don't know these answers, then there really would be no point in us believing in Jesus in the first place. The Bible teaches that there are two things that Jesus saves us from. The most common one that we hear is the one that we've already seen in Scripture today in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and that is sin. Jesus saves us from sin. According to 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, sin is any wrongdoing. It's when we disobey God's commandments. His commandments are a direct reflection of His character, which is holy and righteous. When we sin by breaking God's law, we not only offend God, but we deny the holiness of His character. And because God is holy and righteous, He is also just, so He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And the penalty for sin, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is spiritual death. It's eternal separation from God. Sin is what brings God's wrath and condemnation. And this wrath is the second thing that Jesus saves us from. Because when we're dead in our sins, we are enemies of God. Sin deserves God's wrath. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wages, or excuse me, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. None of us should ever want to see or experience God's wrath. Because his word, uh, his word warns us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So Jesus came to save us from our sin, and he came to save us from God's wrath. Now, why Jesus came to this earth reveals his purpose. And that purpose was to save the world through himself. How he fulfilled that purpose reveals his mission. And that mission was to die on the cross for our sins. He bore in his body the full wrath of God for the sins of the world. And he was the only one who could do it. Because he was the only one who could live a perfect and sinless life fulfilling all of God's holy commandments and thereby becoming the perfect and complete sacrifice to pay the penalty for sin. It was the greatest rescue mission of all time. And Jesus' last dying words on the cross were, it is finished. That was Jesus saying, mission accomplished. And when he resurrected himself from the dead three days later, he dealt the death blow to Satan and to sin and to death itself, fulfilling the very scripture that God had spoke in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God first revealed his plan to redeem mankind from his sin. He took care of the debt that none of us could ever, ever repay. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds you were healed. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He Himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Jesus paid it all. And his sacrifice was sufficient for all time and for all people. This does not mean, however, that sin is automatically forgiven. You can put that in your blank. Does not mean that sin is automatically forgiven. It simply means that Jesus satisfied God's holy requirement for atoning for the sins of the whole world. But the only way that forgiveness is given to an individual is if they accept it by faith. So while Jesus took care of the debt from our sin, which offers us forgiveness from our sins, there is only one way we can receive this forgiveness, and that's by believing in Him through our faith. 
John chapter 1, verses 11 through 12 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. To believe in him, we must have faith in him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus came to this world to be its savior. He completed his mission by sacrificing himself for our sins on the cross. But this sacrifice demands a response. It demands a response. We either reject the salvation that Jesus provides through himself, or we accept it. And to accept it requires us to repent and to believe. When we repent, we have a change of mind. We turn from our sins and we turn to Jesus. We turn away from our own self-centeredness and we turn to God to now live for Jesus-centeredness. It's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 5 that he did not come to call those who think they are righteous, but to call all those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So now that we've laid the groundwork for what Jesus' purpose and mission was, it's time for us to move on into answering our first question for today. Why am I here on this earth? Because when we answer this question, it reveals our purpose. So many people struggle with what is my purpose? And we can ask this question in several ways. Why am I here? What am I living for? What is the purpose of life? And on and on it goes. But all the answers to life's questions are right here in this book. They're all right here. God has given us his word. And if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then he has also given us his Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth from his word. So why are we here on this earth? What is our purpose? Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 gives us our purpose. God said, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. I have made them for my glory. So our purpose is simply to glorify God. God made us so that we would bring glory to him. Too many people are seeking a very specific purpose that centers around themselves and then what would fulfill or satisfy themselves. But listen to me. We're not made to satisfy or fulfill ourselves. We were made to live and satisfy God. We were not made for our glory. The reality is we were made for His glory. We were made to glorify God. That is our purpose. And we will never be more fulfilled or more satisfied than when we are fulfilling the very purpose for which we were created. Our very existence is uniquely and completely all about glorifying God. Now, there are so many ways that we can bring glory to God. We could spend several weeks unpacking how to glorify God. We could talk about worshiping and praising God talking about turning away from sin or being thankful or being helpful or being faithful, giving or praying or how we take care of our bodies, how we treat other people or how we love God. But no matter how we unpack glorifying God, it all comes under the umbrella of obedience. To glorify God is to obey God. That's what it all comes down to. Jesus' purpose and mission was all about bringing glory to God. And so was ours, because Jesus was the perfect example for all of us. He was fully God, yet he was fully man. And the life he lived on this earth, he lived in perfect obedience to his Father, bringing glory to him in everything he said and did. Our entire existence is summed up in bringing glory to God. 
So to bring glory to God, we need only to look to and follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And while there are many ways that we can glorify God, I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning focusing on one primary way that we can glorify God. And this one primary way will reveal our mission here on this earth. Now remember, purpose answers the why. Why am I here on this earth? And mission answers the how. How am I going to achieve my purpose? So our purpose is to glorify God. Now let's talk about how can we achieve this purpose? Because answering this will reveal our mission. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one right here on the shelf. Or you can follow along up on the screen. I can't tell you how awesome it is to have my son directly in front of me. (laughs) You should sit there every week, son. All right, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. These verses that we're about to read together, they reveal our primary mission here on this earth. This is the mission that we're supposed to be about until Jesus comes back again. I love you, son. Just know that. All right, so beginning here in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right after Jesus clearly says, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to him. He then gives us a command that is often referred to as the Great Commission. We are here on this earth to glorify God. That is our purpose. And how we can achieve that purpose is our mission. So our mission as a church and as Christ followers is to do exactly what Jesus commands us to do here. The Great Commission. But what is so sad about this is that so many in the American church don't have any idea what the Great Commission is, which means they have no idea what their mission in life is. According to a study by George Barna that he published in 2018, 51% of those in America who attend church say they've never heard the term the Great Commission. 51%. 6% said, I'm not sure if I've heard that term before. 25% say they've heard the term, but they can't remember what it was about. And only 17% said, yes, I've heard the term, and I know what it means. This is pretty eye-opening. Now, it is possible that the churches in this study were just simply very highly evangelistic. And every week they were bringing in non-believers. If that were the case, then this would make sense. But I'm not sure that I believe that. I'm I'm not convinced that's the case. This more than likely reveals that there's two primary challenges for the American church today. First, the church is not doing a great job teaching or emphasizing the mission that Jesus clearly gave us in Scripture. And second, churchgoers are not reading their Bibles because most Bibles have a subheading just before this text that says clearly, the Great Commission. You can see this here. This is a picture of my Bible. And I drew a circle around the Great Commission. More than likely, in your translation, those words are there. The Great Commission is our primary mission while we're here on this earth. Now listen to me. What's so cool about this is it's not a mission that we have to go solo on. It's a co-mission. You can put that in your blank. Co-mission meaning we're not alone in this mission. Jesus said in the very last part of verse 20, he said, I am with you always. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have him with you always. His Holy Spirit then lives on the inside of you. And scripture records the Holy Spirit is our helper. So he is our helper in carrying out the great commission or as I would prefer to call it, the great co-mission. 
because we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit when we execute this mission. So let's just jump into what Jesus meant here when he gave this command. He said, go and make disciples. Now, he didn't say go and make converts. He didn't go and say make churchgoers. He said, go and make disciples. A disciple is a student. They're a learner. They're a follower. Followers of Jesus were called disciples way before they were called Christians. So a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, meaning a disciple patterns his life after Jesus. Listen to me. There is a cost to being a disciple. And this is one thing that I fear that is not being taught to disciples today. There's a cost to discipleship. It's very clear in Scripture. Jesus says this. He said in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So the cost of being a disciple of Jesus will cost us everything, our entire lives. A disciple of Jesus is all in. They are sold out completely for Jesus. And what pains me so much is how often I see in church where people are trying to straddle the line, right? They're just kind of one toe into Christianity, maybe another toe in the world. What does Revelation chapter 3 tell us about that? You guys know? You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you're not, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, the word says, right? In other words, it makes God sick. He wants us to be all in. That is the cost of discipleship. So when we're all in, it means that we're willing to sacrifice everything, including ourselves, to follow Jesus. Now, there are two primary distinguishing marks of a disciple of Jesus. Number one, they are fully devoted and faithful followers of Jesus. And number two, their lives produce much spiritual fruit. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. That's the evidence that we're disciples, is the fruit, spiritual fruit. It's funny how this keeps coming up, isn't it? You you guys that have been here, this has came up in several messages already. What is spiritual fruit? You can look at Galatians chapter 5, right? Spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? That is spiritual fruit. When we exhibit those qualities, we look like Jesus, don't we? That's the kind of fruit that he's looking for. So when we produce spiritual fruit, we not only prove we are disciples of Jesus, but we also glorify God, which is our purpose here on this earth. So a disciple of Jesus is a fully devoted, faithful follower of Jesus who also produces much fruit. The church is the body of Christ, and we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And Jesus gave us our primary mission in the great commission, and that is to make disciples. When he says go, that means go. Now, we don't necessarily have to go to some foreign country to make disciples. Yes, the command is to go into all the nations, but it all starts right here in our church and in our community. We need to make disciples everywhere, but what better place to start than right where we live? Imagine with me for a minute. If every church in every community were focused and making disciples as Jesus clearly lays out here, can you imagine what that would look like? Jesus accomplished the mission his father gave him here on this earth, and then he gives us, his church, our mission to complete until he returns again. So how do we do this? How do we execute the great commission? Well, Jesus tells us how in verses 19 and 20. He says we are to go and make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. Now, baptism is not essential for salvation. You don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. Someone teaches you that, it's wrong. All you got to do is point to the cross 
Look at the criminal on the cross, right? What did Jesus say to him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. So we don't have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. But it is a command. It's the first step of obedience after receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Baptism is a command. And Jesus modeled this command for us as even he was baptized while he was here on this earth. Baptism is an outward expression of the inward reality that has taken place in our hearts. Baptism is how we publicly identify with the greatest sacrifice in human history, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means we've turned away from our old lives of sin to a new life in Jesus. When a person is baptized, they are visually preaching the gospel. As the person is standing in the water, they symbolize Jesus being buried in the tomb. And as the person, or excuse me, they symbolize Jesus dying on the cross. As they're lowered into the water, they symbolize Jesus being buried in the tomb. And then as they come up out of the water, this symbolizes Jesus resurrecting himself from the dead. Romans chapter 6 says it like this, beginning in verse 2. It says, How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is why when I baptize someone, the first thing I'm going to say to them is, is I'm going to ask them a question. Have you made the decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That is first and foremost. Because baptism itself will not save you. It's by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Jesus alone, that we are saved, period. After that I ask this question, I'll then say, as I lower the person down in the water, I will say, buried with Christ. And as they come up, I'll say, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is an incredibly powerful thing. I can't wait till the weather gets a little bit warmer because we're going to put something right outside here and we're going to baptize right in the parking lot. Amen? And I'm believing God that we're going to do it and people are going to get baptized. Matter of fact, we might do it right here in the front just so people driving by can see it happen too. Amen. So when a person makes this public profession of their faith, they are in fact committing to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Baptism is not only a public profession of our faith in Jesus. It is also a declaration of war against our enemy. It's like us sending Satan our declaration of independence. Because now we no longer belong to the world. We are citizens of heaven. And we have all of heaven's army at our backs. Can you imagine as Christ followers if we actually acted like that? Did you know that? You've got all of heaven's army at your back. We don't have to go around cowering in fear. Should we? We have the presence of God in us through his Holy Spirit. We can look at fear. We can look at Satan. We can say, get out of here. Because if we resist him, what does the word say will happen? He will flee. Why don't we just start acting like children of God? We've got the victory. Amen. So making disciples first involves baptizing them, and then it involves teaching them all of God's commands. Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And the second is equally as important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So all of God's commands are summed up in loving God and loving people. It's our responsibility to teach others to obey those things. This is all part of the discipleship-making process. guess I got ahead of myself, but here we go. It's all part of the discipleship-making process. And every one of us has a part in this. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean, right, when you enter into discipleship, that you're going to be able to take someone from beginning to end, 
for all the way through the process. It might mean that, or it might not. Some of us might just be called to plant seeds of faith in someone. And someone else might come along and water those seeds or cultivate those seeds somehow, right? Others might come along and simply be there to pray with that person or to answer questions. Others might come alongside and begin to teach that person what does it mean to actually follow Christ. And then others might come along, once they have accepted Jesus into their life, they're now a follower, now this person might teach them how to make other disciples. That's the process. We all have a role to play in the Great Commission. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, which we've got hanging right on our wall right here, right here in the living room. It says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. This is why our church has such a passion and such a focus for making disciples because the great commission is the mission of the body of Christ. This is what we're called to do, which is why we've adopted the Navigators 2-7 series. That series serves as the curriculum for teaching discipleship here in this church. That's what it's about. The curriculum can be done both as a one-on-one study, it can be done in small groups, but there are three workbooks in this curriculum. Each one of these these workbooks have 11 lessons in them. That's the training course that we go through. Now, we started our 2-7 discipleship program in the fall. We had both men's and women's groups going on. And we graduated a whole bunch of people out of book one. And so after Easter, we're going to start back again. We're going to start back with book one. Those people that have already finished book one will have the opportunity to go on to book two. Now, I want to encourage all of you to get involved in that. You can sign up today. There's sign-up sheets right over here on the discipleship table if you're interested in being discipled, all right? I like the idea of being in small groups. I mean, one-on-one is awesome. I've done one-on-one. Some of you guys have done one-on-one. But it's a whole thing altogether when you're in a group. And you can learn from one another. You can feed on one another. You can pray for one another. It is awesome, guys. So I encourage you to sign up. And some of you who have already graduated from book one, maybe it's time you step up and lead and facilitate another group because that's that multiplication process in discipleship. Discipleship is for everyone. And we all have a role to play in the body of Christ. Jesus came to this earth to be the world's savior. That was his purpose. And he accomplished his purpose by dying on the cross for our sins. That was his mission. And his mission is what sets us free from sin and God's wrath against sin. This freedom is available to everyone. Now notice I said available. I didn't say it was automatic. It's available through God's grace. But we must receive it through our faith. You and I are not here on this earth by accident. We are all here for a reason. And that reason reveals our purpose. Our purpose is to simply glorify God. Now, I want you to think about this. Ask yourself this question next time you're thinking about saying something, doing something, watching something, listening to something. Is what I'm about to engage in going to bring glory to God? That should be your litmus test. Because if it doesn't bring glory to God... I'd encourage you to step back away from that and don't be involved in it. We learned in our book one of our discipleship, right, about temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always provide a way out, won't he? So that you'll be able to stand up and endure it. The problem is many of us don't look for the way out. Here's the way out. Will it bring glory to God? Yes or no? No? Well, there it is. Take the way out. God's given it to you. So that's a question you can ask yourself. Everything Jesus did while on this earth brought glory to God. You and I can bring glory to God in all kinds of ways. We can worship. We can praise God. We can repent of our sin. We can be thankful. We can pray. We can give. We can take care of our bodies. We can love other people. We can love God himself. But no matter how we glorify God, it all comes down to obedience. 
to glorify God is to obey God. How we achieve our purpose reveals our mission. And our primary mission while here on this earth is to fulfill the great commission. We are to be about making disciples. We want to help people know Jesus by seeing them saved from their sins and to grow to full maturity as believers and become fully devoted and faithful followers of Jesus. Jesus accomplished his mission. Will you join him in accomplishing yours through the great commission? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of truth that gives us all the answers we need. So often we get sidetracked by what the world is throwing at us and we lose track of what our purpose is or what our mission is. But Lord, we just need to turn to your word. It gives us the answers. I thank you, Father, that you created us to glorify you. And I pray that you'd encourage everyone in this room to get involved in executing that co-mission. And we thank you, Lord. You didn't leave us on our own to go accomplish that mission. You gave us your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for that, Father. You are a mighty God, Lord. We serve a mighty God, and we are so thankful for you. May you encourage us to take what we've heard today and actually put it into action. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So ushers, I didn't talk to you before the service, but I need your help. I need at least three or four of you to come forward. Thank you, Will. Man, you're the first one, dude. You're like ready to go. See those index cards right there? If I could get someone on this side, there's some over here. Why don't you give half of those to Mark? Mark, if you'll start halfway down. Here's what I'm going to do. Steve, the other ones are right here on this table. This is your action item for today, okay? Once you get a card, yeah, just start passing them out. Once you get a card, here's what I'd like for you to do. I would like for you to consider writing down who is someone that maybe God is pressing upon your heart that you need to witness to. Could be in your work. Could be someone that maybe you're at a store somewhere and you keep seeing them or a waiter or a waitress into a restaurant. Who is someone that you can witness to and share the love of Jesus with? This is all part of discipling other people. That might be something that you want to write down is the name of that person, okay? Someone that you need to witness to. Others of you, it might be someone that you want to write down that God is pressing upon your heart that you need to disciple, Remember, disciples not difficult. It's baptizing them. It's teaching them all that God has, has laid out in his commands. And you can do that through your own testimony. So maybe there's someone that you know that God is pressing upon your heart that you need a disciple. So I'd ask you to write that down. Maybe there's someone that you just need to pray for. Maybe you need to write them down on that card. Maybe you need to fill that card up. I don't know. Or perhaps you need to make a commitment to be discipled yourself. Maybe that involves after service, you coming over here and signing up in the, on the, uh, the discipleship sign-up sheet. Maybe you could write that down, that you want to commit this year to growing deeper in your relationship with the Lord. And you can do that by being discipled. Or perhaps you've already been through book one. Maybe God is pressing upon you that it's time for you to step up and lead and facilitate a group yourself to help others in being discipled. Maybe that's you. Maybe that is something you want to write down. Whatever that it is, I just encourage you to write that down. I'm going to play a song. We're going to kind of just sit here and hang out. We're going to wait for what the Holy Spirit's going to do. As this song's being played, I want you to write down whatever it is. And then if you'll just come up on your own, there's a basket right here at the foot of the cross. And so I just want you to take what you've written Bring it forward as a commitment to God to lay it right here at the foot of the cross, believing that God's going to take care of that in your life. There may be something else you need to write on that card. Maybe it's a sin you need to confess. Maybe it's forgiveness you need to give to someone. I'm not sure. Listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting, then take it and let's put it here in this basket. And when we're done, we'll pray over these and we'll see where the Holy Spirit leads us next. Sound good? Can you handle that? I know some of you are hungry and it's hot in here. I get it. Hang in there. Just bring them forward when you got it written down.
everything that was written here to you right now. Father, we thank you that you came and died on the cross for our sins. The greatest rescue of mission of all time. And you didn't stay in that tomb. Three days later, you rose again from the dead. Defeating death and hell and Satan forever. Giving us victory. We thank you, Jesus. I pray that what was written here Lord God, that you would answer in all of our lives. And that you would encourage us to have the faith to share the love of who you are with all those we come in contact with. And once we've seen them make that decision or been part of helping them make that decision, we don't just leave them there. Lord, we want to see them mature and grow up in their faith. That you'd encourage us to be there, to surround them, to encourage them, to motivate them to continue that journey thank you that you made that journey to the cross for us, Lord. The mission that you had for us. We love you and we praise you today, Father. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. That we're not ever alone. So we just ask right now, Jesus, that you'd move in our hearts. Minister to us, to every need that's represented in this room.
like I said at the beginning. Is there someone here that needs to make something right with the Lord? Is there someone here that needs healing today? Don't be afraid. If that's you, step forward in faith. And we'll pray with you. prompting you that you need to pray for someone or you want to pray over this church I'd encourage you to come forward Andrea you want to come forward come on up this is Andrea's first day here she's already wanting to come forward you right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, Lord. I just ask that you will just anoint the parents right now. Each and every parent, Heavenly Father, grandparent right now, Heavenly Father, to take authority over their children, to take authority over their children's temple in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth. Heavenly Father, I ask that you will minister to the parents the things that are in the video games, the things that are in the commercials, the things that are on the radio, Heavenly Father, to turn the things off if they are not glorifying you, Heavenly Father. I ask that you will lift the children up, magnify your voice in their temples, Heavenly Father. Shut the mouth of the enemy that is speaking to them. I plead the blood of Jesus over every child's ears right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I plead the blood of Jesus over their minds, over their hearts, and I command Satan and all his minions not to speak to these children. They are children of the Most High God in the mighty name of Jesus Christ in Nazareth. Glory God, I ask that you will minister to parents what needs to come out of their house and go into the trash in the mighty name of Jesus Christ in Nazareth. Glory God, I stand in agreement on your word. I stand in agreement on your promises that you have for your children, Heavenly Father. And I ask that you will put a hunger, a thirst, pour your spirit upon all their flesh to seek you and not the video games. Heavenly Father, I ask that you will minister to them what to read, what to speak, Heavenly Father. Glory, God, and to worship and give you praise and all glory when they wake up, Heavenly Father. And we just thank you. We ask for peace for Israel in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray. Amen and amen. 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 You're welcome anytime. pray over our church and all the church members in the name of the Father the Father um, I just want to lift up our church to you and all the members that attend and the board members their families all our children here I just ask you just watch over all of us in your mighty name just lift us high give us hope glory, peace, wisdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Lord, we come before you and we ask you to bless and watch over this fine Christian man, Josh, who has had headaches for years and years and has been to many, many doctors and they cannot figure it out what's wrong. 
We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, the mighty healer, yes. the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the miracle worker, that somehow, some way, you heal him or help the doctors find out what the cause is so that he can be healed. But we know that ultimately you can do anything. You can bring people back from death. You did it many times. You healed all kinds of diseases and it never made you or diminished you, never made you sick or diminished you in any way because you're all powerful. We love Josh and his wonderful family and Marissa and his children and we beg you in Christ the King's name to heal him. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. I also want to real quickly um, pray for our son, Matt. Um, he grew up in a Christian household, but in college, he was told that he was an idiot if he believed in this. And so he's a doctor. He's very, very smart. And I just really, really want him somehow, some way to come to Christ. So I pray for him. It's a matter of... <laughs> you know about that. I totally have amazing about that. <laughs> Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I'd like to play, pray for my cousin Livy. She's in the hospital. She's having a lot of trouble with her brain, and she's having a surgery today, and I pray that you will heal her, and you put your healing hand on her, in your name, amen. Dear Father, I want to pray for my dad. He doesn't believe in you, and I just hope that one day he will come to you, and he will learn about your ways, and he will be blessed in heaven when he dies. Amen. 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 you got to love these prayers when they're prayed in faith. God answers prayers. We believe that. I got one more I want to pray for. Somebody brought up before service. And I know some of you know uh, Dr. Jay Matz, who has cancer and has been struggling with this for quite some time. And he's in a relapse right now. And so let's just pray for him and his family. Father, we lift up Jay to you right now. We just pray, Holy Spirit, first and foremost, that you would just be glorified in his life and in his family. Bring answers, bring healing in your way and in your will. We thank you so much for the support of the community that has been continually praying for him. And so we lift him up today to you right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, I want to thank you guys for being patient today. It's okay to make room for God. He's the most important thing we have in this life. So I want to encourage you as we go today to just take what you heard and act on it. You've got God's spirit with you. Have the courage. He'll give you what you need. He'll help you with what you need to say or how you need to be towards someone else. Amen? So if you need prayer, you want to come forward and there's something you'd like for me to pray with you about, or if you're not sure of your salvation and you want to make that sure today, I'll be right here with you. God bless you. Have a great week.